Welcome to the How to Code Well podcast, a show all about web development and programming. My name is Peter Fisher. I am a freelance web and mobile applications developer. Hello, coders. Today, we're going to be talking about image compression and virtual reality on the web. I have the pleasure of being joined by Stephanie Hulbert, who is the co-owner of Binomial. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Have you had a good week? I've had a great week. Yeah. (laughs) What about yourself? You know, it's busy. It's been a busy one. (laughs) It's been a very busy one. (laughs) How about you? The busy levels, are are they good? They are. We are. Uh, they're they're higher than they normally are. I try to normally keep a good work life balance, yeah. but um, uh, we we have this really big project coming up that we'll hopefully be able to announce in the next few weeks. Ooh. So just tying Ooh. up all those loose ends. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we're going to be talking about virtual reality and image compression. And you're the co-owner of Binomial. Uh, but before we talk about all of that good stuff, let's talk about your background. What was your first introduction to coding? And what inspired you to start uh, being a coder? Um, My first introduction to it was I, or my first significant introduction, right? I had obviously heard of it growing up vaguely, but I never pictured myself as a coder. (laughs) Um, I had dropped out of school and I was really broke and I was working retail jobs and I had been studying a lot of mathematics and things along that line. And my partner at the time was like, you can't keep living like this. Maybe computer science can be a quick way to make some money. Right. Um, like you're, you're good at math. You might as well. And the thing about studying math is that the track is basically like you, you become a professor or you go into research mm-hmm. and both are very long paths. And coding was a way to get a job sooner than that and a little bit easier. So it's not a very <laughs> like it was my passion since I was five. But I think I think there's a place for people that want the financial freedom mm. that code can give them. Mm. So do you have um, what, what kind of training do you have in terms of that? You, you mentioned maths. Do you have do you have a degree in mathematics or something? I started studying math, uh, dropped out, and then realized I could finish up my degree with a major in computer science okay. if I just went back to school for a couple more years. Uh, okay. So that's what I did. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> and how long did that uh, time take? You know, what, what was the span of time that you were doing that for? Uh, um, I originally went to college for about three years and then dropped out for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then it took two years to finish up my degree. Awesome. Well, that sounds cool. That sounds good. I, I, I like the fact that you, you tried something and then you sort of like changed direction and pushed even further on. That's fantastic. Um, so what college was that? Where, where was that? It was a small state school. Um, it was, I went to it because it was actually cheaper than the ones that were close to me. Yeah. Um, it seemed to have a pretty good community around it. It was called the Evergreen State College. Um, and it allowed me to have a little bit of freedom. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to study or go into. And mm. some schools here really lock you into curriculums. Like mm. you have to decide the first year and then that's it. Um, so this gave me some more flexibility. I know. 
know, right? I mean, that's so weird. Uh, having that sort of choice at the start, I remember going through, we have uh, a UCAS book. It's like this big yellow pages book, phone directory, if you will. That's kind of size of all the possible courses and all the possible futures that you could possibly have. And it was like, uh, I'll choose that one. And that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> I know. I remember at the time I was just devastated because there's, and I noticed this when I talked to younger people too, there's this huge pressure to like mm. have your life figured out. And here I was like a college dropout, no clue what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was like, my life's over. And that's so not the case. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so after, after Evergreen, what, what happened after that? Where, where did you move on to? So I basically tried to apply for any job that would take me. I didn't care what yeah. the language or field was. I just wanted work. <laughs> <laughs> so I applied for a government C-sharp job and failed that. It was like a whiteboarding interview, I remember. And like 10 people were sitting around an oval table oh, staring gosh. at me as I did whiteboard problems. Wow. <laughs> and I just, I was, it was so scary. And, <laughs> and then I had an interview interview for a C++ graphics job. And I didn't really know C++, but I put it on my resume anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, I could do this. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and that was a really laid back, wonderful interview. And, um, and they were willing to take me on. So I just took that job. And, and um, you had to learn C++ like on the fly, I suppose. <laughs> yes. I, I <laughs> awesome. <laughs> You know, as you do. <laughs> so what happened was um, I, since my college was so flexible, we didn't have like a C++ course the year I was graduating. So I was like, this would be good to learn. And I like art. So why not do like a little introduction to graphics course? Um, and so I helped like organized that for the school for my last year. And my professor noticed that and referred me to this job. Um, right. But that little introduction to graphics course didn't cover very much. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a story. <laughs> so what, what I think my boss sensed that and what mm -hmm. he, the way he justified it was, listen, if she can't do the job, at least she can do some QA for us. Okay. Like, we need, we need someone else on the team regardless. Yeah. And he, he was kind enough to justify hiring me. And that, <laughs> how long did you do that for? I did that for about a year and a half or so. And um, then I left to move to Denmark and worked at Unity, which was like a game engine company that uh, powers pretty much most mobile phone games. Awesome. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Can, can I ask how that happened? How, how, you know, how you got the job and, and all of that. Right. So my first, uh, my first job was at downstream and they, uh, were like an advertising agency mm. kind of, they did like custom consulting projects for clients to, that were focused around like, uh, custom installations in a lobby to show like we're a fancy company and, and, you know, it, it, stuff like that. Um, and so I was doing a lot of work directly with customers. Yeah. Um, and, I wasn't in control of everything. So a lot of stress was being put on me in those customer meetings. Like mm. the CEO, like they were, they 
we're all fine. Like this is just the stress of a consulting gig. But I was mm. basically like, if I could work on the engine side, maybe I get to shield myself from that customer stress and just focus on the code. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, that they are totally different skill sets, um, <laughs> but they're good skill sets to have. Um, uh, you know, the, the customer skill sets is something that is 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 definitely needed in web development um sort of like processing what a customer needs sort of understanding their requirements all of that kind of stuff all you know people could box that up perhaps and play that as sort of you know soft skills or something but it, it it is certainly definitely needed in web development to sort of analyze the technical requirements talk technically to a non-technical person and get them to understand what you're talking about, you know, all of that stuff. And then the pressures of budgets and all of that jazz. Oh my God. It's one of those tricky things where I do that now, ironically, that's my job now, Right. but I I don't mind it so much now because I'm also in control of the scope of the project and the budget. Like I I get to oversee it all. Uh Whereas when you're just a part of that system, it can be sometimes frustrating and, and a different experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so how long were you at Unity for? Um, About a year, if yeah. I'm thinking straight. Yeah, about yeah. a year. Awesome. And I mean, you was this still C++ that you were working on? All of it was C++. All of it was C++. All C++. I've ever done for my career. So every, everything <laughs> kind of hinged upon that CV that you put C++ on that you weren't overly... For pay on. <laughs> that is so cool. I guess the lesson is just put it on your resume. <laughs> oh. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that, that one, like, why not put this on the resume? Launched a whole career in C++. <laughs> oh, nice. If I could, I would high five you. That's so cool. <laughs> okay. So apart from just putting that on the CV, have you got any advice for new developers who are looking to get into C++ perhaps? Well, I I partially joke because it genuinely was hard to learn C++ Mm. on the job. Like I'm not sure I would want to put people through that. But the benefit of the C++ industry is that it's a very stable industry that doesn't change very much and is typically highly paid. Yeah. So... You can learn the same skill set, no new frameworks, and use it for the next 20 years, literally mm. not learning anything else. Yeah, that's so and, true. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it pays well, and it's considered a specialty. So I, I advocate people going into that um, because it's, it's a good job, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, if people love to complain about C++, but I actually, I think it's a pretty good dig. <laughs> well, that's, that's always good when you're doing the code. Yeah. I mean, how, how did the, you mentioned before that you were uh, doing a bit of art stuff uh, for the previous gig that you were with. Um, how did you, how did you move into image compression though? How did you move into the graphics side of, you know, systems and, and coding and stuff? Right. So I started graphics from the very beginning. The art that I would do was low, what was is called low level graphics programming and basically stuff like making particle systems, like making a smoke puff. Um, You can't 
just have an artist do that in Photoshop because there's too many complex like coding that needs to happen to make that possible. So graphics programming is a really cool mesh of art and code. And that's why I love it so much. Um, And then image compression, I never got familiar with it till we started the business um, because my business partner is an expert in image compression. And I've mostly, I've largely focused on the business end Mm -hmm. of this product, but um, I have gotten really familiar with image compression over the past few years. Awesome. Um, And what you said that you, you're, you work more on the business end. How have you been able to take the skills that you've worked with when you were dealing with those Uh, clients in your previous role have you been able to take any of those skills to where you currently are now um has anything been able to uh, transist from one to the other absolutely and in fact um another big strong influence on our business now is my experience in retail Mm. um because when you work retail jobs you have to interact with so many different people and different personalities Mm. and like um learn how to like stay composed and sell something um despite that uh so yeah the combination of retail and then also working consulting at a tech company was so helpful yeah yeah i can imagine i can certainly imagine okay let's 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 crack into binomial uh what what is it what 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 does binomial (laughs) do (laughs) uh we make an image compression product so it's basically a the the purpose of it yeah, is well, it improves performance and shrinks the size of applications. Um, and the reason it can do that is because a lot of the data in applications are images. Mm. So I can see this from a from a web dev point of view where I'm being um, asked by pretty much every other client um, about mobile. <laughs> um, and they have tons and tons of images um, and they're huge and some of them are perhaps wanting to have more of a dynamic, um, quote unquote, rich media experience with showcasing their products. Um, and they want it all to work on the mobile extremely fast, uh, as fast as it would be on a desktop when you're working on things like 4g. I, am I guess, is that something that you, you are helping to achieve to make that experience better? Yes. Um, because what happens right now is that a lot of people will use JPEGs or mm. PNGs as their image types. The problem with that is JPEG blows up to six to eight times its size once it hits the GPU. Wow. And there are, there are GPUs on your phone. And so when you're actually trying to run the image, JPEG just clogs up your GPU, which is, which is fine if you only have one or two or a handful of images. But the second you want big images, or lots of them you're just you're screwed with jpeg you can't use it that's insane i never realized that that's um yeah wow gosh okay so that's (laughs) why applications that use jpeg run really horribly on mobile devices and that's exactly the problem we solve and is this um through the product that you've got called basis is that correct Yeah. So basis is kind of a suite of compressors and we have some that um, work on mobile and some that are more tailored for like higher end desktop experiences. Um, And yeah, mobile, our mobile compressor is really popular with game studios that target mobile because games are all images. Like Mm, mm. everything in the game is an image Mm. and they just, they literally cannot use something like JPEG. Their game would not run. And so they need, they need a GPU efficient solution. So 
um, when you've got a game that is built in, say, JavaScript, right, um, mm -hmm. and you're perhaps maybe using some, I don't know, um, some 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 really fancy virtual reality stuff. Um, maybe it's um, uh, like web VR type stuff, or even um, what's the word? It's um, just trying to think of it. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's uh, the the Wasm stuff. You know, the stuff that you can <laughs> compile down. Uh, I've forgotten what it's called now. Um, yeah, mscripten. Um, mscripten. That's the one. mscripten. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so uh, your basis products will be able to help make those images run much quicker. Um, and a JavaScript developer could pick that up and use that product to make their, their application a lot slicker. Is that, is that right? That is absolutely correct. Um, so right now um, we offer a series of platform, <laughs> like careful what I say, because this is some of it is related to a secret project we're doing. The secret but squirrel some, project. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so we sell um, platform specific encoders and uh -huh. in a few weeks or so, we may have an exciting announcement for a product that can help the web developers um, because the challenge with the web is that it not only, you not only want that GPU performance, mm. but you also want cross platform. Um, and there are some people where cross platform is the most important thing, even more important than size reduction or performance. So Definitely. we might have a solution coming for awesome. that. Awesome. <laughs> well, that sounds really good. That sounds really good. I mean, I, I've, I've done projects before where it's cross platform. So I'm using things like uh, alloy, uh, JS, Titanium, Accelerator, PhoneGap, that kind of stuff, um, mm -hmm. Zarmin. And um, uh, we build essentially, a, it's, it's, it's very web-esque. It's a series of forms that the, the user of the mobile device can then fill out and, and stuff. And there commonly is a question of, can I add some graphics to this? Can I make a spinny logo or, you know, do something that, you know, some sort of interaction, make it more, a little bit more fancy. And usually the answer is no, <laughs> because, because, um, if you're making, if you're doing something cross platform, you have to deal with the native, um, requirements because not all cross platform, cross platform isn't like strictly cross platform all, all, all the time. Um, there are some things that just don't work in iOS than they do in Android. Um, but are you, are you saying that you, there could be possibly a time where a JavaScript developer could build something as good as a normal mobile game um, and not be too worried about the performance um, of all the images that they're putting through? Yes. Here's the deal with that. And this is true in all of computer science. Specialty products will always be better than cross-platform just by their nature. But the thing is, cross-platform solutions and image compression right now are yeah. literally 15 years behind. <laughs> like, it doesn't need to be 15 years behind. I think we can get it. I think we can get it a little more in the future than that. And we have been working with, there's this committee called GLTF um, within the Kronos group. Mm -hmm. There's standards bodies like IEEE and W3C. Like, it's another kind of standards body. Uh -huh. We've been working with them for literally the past several years on making a standard format to bring the web closer to uh to 
what everyone else has been doing for the past several decades. Yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, there's, there's just, so, at the moment, it feels, it feels like there is a, is a bit of a disconnect between what you can achieve on the web and what you can achieve on a mobile app. The, 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 um, the gray area is shrinking and shrinking, especially with things like PWAs and stuff that, that, that coming in. Um, but you, you just can't very easily, um, without spending so long learning completely different languages, um, to do something that is very dynamic, very sort of, um, rich in terms of graphics, video and stuff. Um, you, you, you end up sort of just doing it on the native platform. Um, and then when you're doing that on the native platform, you are limiting your audience because if you only have budget to either decide, I'm going to do it on cross platform, but I'm not going to have those features, or I'm going to do it on a native platform, but I've only got budget for one developer to do it on one programming language, then you're, yeah, you, you are carving up your options. Um, so yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful if there was a a time where someone could, could sort of sit down and go, yeah, I'm going to write the same code that I do on the web as I do on the mobile and have exactly the same experience. Um, that would be, that'd be fantastic. It blows my mind though about that whole JPEG uh, thing, because is that the same? And this is probably uh, highlighting my naivety here. Is that the same for things like just browsing the web? Um, yep. It is. Oh, yeah. wow. It's JPEG is horrible for GPUs. Like JPEG literally, like one of our goals is to replace JPEG and GIF, um, both of those formats, because we can do small videos like GIF too. And that's that's a larger goal that I have is that I want to completely replace JPEG and GIF with our technology. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that is literally mind blowing because I mean, <laughs> that's the JPEG and Pung PNGs, they are basically everything that, that, um, is graphical on the, on the, on the internet. So changing that is quite a revolution. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Um, because even things like WebP don't really utilize the GPU in the way we do. Right. Um, I want to truly use the GPU in the most efficient way. And so the first step is, um, working closer with WebGL, which is, mm. um, like, a graphics API for the web and like working with them. And then after we get it commonly used in WebGL, we can go to like images at large, like just JPEG in general, not only people using WebGL. Okay. So it's, it's like, it's like I've, I've been working on this for three years and I'm probably going to work on it for the next 10 years, but eventually that's the goal. <laughs> when, when, when do you, when do you see this being a reality? Um, well, that's, that's what we're working on. And that's the announcement that's right. going to be coming in the next few weeks is kind of a next big step toward this standardization effort. Okay. Um, and we have already been working on it and, um, we have customers using it on the web already, but the next step is to try to make it more widely available. Fingers right. crossed. Yeah. Okay. Watch this space. I like it. Yeah. Watch, watch, the watch the space. space. And and what and we're uh, we continue to sell and uh, make good profits on single platform solutions as well because there's always going to be a market for single platform because it's always going to be better. It just is. It literally is always going to be better because you can do optimizations for that platform. Mm. But I want to close the gap and mm. make make it not such a big difference. No. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so let, let's move into uh, the virtual reality domain. Um, so with this new um, new format that you're 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 um, hoping to to replace JPEG, make things a lot quicker. What's the impact on virtual reality? So there's a few there's a few impacts we have on virtual reality. In terms of the cross-platform format we're working on, that's gonna enable virtual reality to be more accessible on the web because for a lot of virtual reality apps need GPU power. Like it's not an option. They don't even have the choice to use things like JPEG. Like they need to use that GPU because there's so much. Mm. The problem with virtual reality is that you like can bring textures really up close to your face. You you need the quality or else the second you move your hand up, it's broken. The illusion's gone. And so mm. um, having high quality textures becomes really important. Mm. Um, and so there's that space. And then there's also the matter that in virtual reality, there's no limit. The higher quality texture you go, the better. Like it's, there's no point in which they're like, ah, we don't really need that quality because you're trying to simulate the world. So I think there will also always be a place for those single uh, single uh, format encoders for virtual reality as well. So it's a, it's a balance there. That's such a good statement there that virtual reality is is simulating the world and therefore there is no it's, bounds it's for the quality wild. in which you like, yeah. One of our customers that I'm really proud to work with is Magic Leap and they do augmented reality where you put on these glasses and you literally have like one of their demos is like a whale that passes you by and you get to like it's you see your world but yeah. because of the glasses you also see this whale like flying at you it's wild it's really cool oh wonderful <laughs> wonderful i mean yeah what what in your opinion what can you do in virtual reality in 2019 what what is this kind of the the the, the state of vr at the current time right um Oh, it's so interesting. I've been immersed in that space for several years and it's been so cool to watch it transform in like, um, 2013, 2014, it was kind of like, ah, is this even, this, this is never going to take <laughs> off. And now we actually have virtual reality applications. Mm. Um, the state of VR right now is you have a bunch of headsets like Magic Leap, um, HoloLens that are basically augmented reality that cover your eyes. Those are starting, what's an interesting trend there is they're starting to pick up in the manufacturing and B2B spaces. Mm -hmm. So like people at a factory or people doing surgery will put on these glasses and like get tips for what they're doing, put on their world. Um, and then in terms of virtual reality, I'm starting to see business in theme parks, like people can go because then you can have like the best equipment right there and mm. people can put on this headset and mm. get immersed in this uh, world. Yeah. I'm seeing it in advertising, like basically any place where you can put this uh, headset on someone and have the whole setup. I'm seeing a challenge with virtual reality and getting people to buy it for their own home, right. but I'm seeing it taking off with businesses. Uh, what 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 uh, hurdles do you see for it becoming more mainstream in the in the in the home? Right. I think we can look at like the console market in right. games for inspiration. Like, what did it take for consoles to get? for people to go ahead and like buy a Nintendo console yeah. instead of using their computer. And um, 
there needs to be enough content that's appealing. Like there needs to be enough Nintendo games on that console for people <laughs> to want to buy. And it also has to hit the right price point. And what virtual reality developers are trying to do now is make it work as well as possible with your existing hardware. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to actually buy a new computer mm -hmm. or too much new equipment. Um, mm -hmm. It's a tricky thing. Yeah, I'm digging your point there about the um, the consoles. Um, software sells the hardware. And so the more software out there, the more applications out there that is utilizing virtual reality and augmented reality, the more common it will be and therefore the more likely you'll buy the box that it's on. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, um, do, do you, I mean, this is, this is probably really blue sky thinking here, but do, do you, do you see a time where it won't be headsets or would it be a, a, just a pair of glasses perhaps? Is that a reality? Is that something that might happen? There is some semi-creepy technology out there, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can, uh, there is technology going on about how to read eye movements and brain waves as sensory input. Wow. So you don't need a controller and you can just use your eyes and your thoughts. That's, that's not sci-fi. People are actually successfully doing that to some extent. <laughs> yeah, wow. And I... I personally haven't read any research on this, but I'm sure people are researching contacts or more minimal glasses solutions um, to, uh, mm. because right now all of the headsets are pretty chunky mm. and people are constantly thinking of like, what's a more minimal solution for yeah. that. And then the other aspect is how to get rid of the controllers. So uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it's interesting you make the point of the theme parks there because, because, um, I'm just thinking that this is, this is actually making the web more accessible in some respects or not just the web, just, just virtual experiences to people who won't necessarily be able to go on a theme park. Um, yeah. And, and then you mentioned the, the operations, uh, and, and the surgeons. Yeah. That, that, that is, that would probably shake up a lot of industries if, if, uh, if that became mainstream, because you could, you could literally train someone to do an operation in a very real world sort of, um, scenario. And you'll be able to take someone who doesn't, who, who can't unfortunately go on to a theme park to enjoy a theme park. These are all things that, you, we just can't really sort of do right now in the real, in, in the sort of the mainstream, unless you had lots and lots of money and, and, and all of that and all, all the equipment. The thing is, in my perspective, there is, uh, a lots of barriers of entry for VR. Um, not only do you have to buy the kit, you have to make sure that your internet connection is good enough. The kit is expiring every so often because hardware improves and changes. Um, you've got all these com uh, uh, companies that are competing against each other. So, you know, they're, from a consumer's point of view, there doesn't necessarily seem a standard. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, and then you've got to put the, something on your head, <laughs> which not everybody wants to do. 
<laughs> it's fascinating because we saw all of these barriers with the invention of the computer. Yeah. Like the early mice were just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And like, why would I want this huge, gigantic thing in my house? And what, like the internet, nobody uses that. Only researchers use that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, and, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Touche. That's a so good point. <laughs> It's tricky. It's kind of like asking why would someone want to join the internet in the early 90s? And it's kind of like it needed to find a use, like academics and researchers and stuff. Mm. And then through that narrow use, it could grow and then become something that literally everyone can use. And so that's where VR is is at right now, where it's it's beyond like early 90s internet, but it's like <laughs> it's more accessible than that. But it's like uh, it's trying to find its uses. And at first it was trying to explore games, mm. but it wasn't finding as much business there as it was in like hospitals and training and factories. And, and it's learning that if it goes into other sectors, it can get more market value and get more money to develop it, to make it more mainstream. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. Um, so here's a bit of a left field question. Um, so virtual reality is great when you've got like a console or a computer and, and you're just plugging it in and you, you're, you're playing something that is downloaded already, right? What are the additional challenges that web brings to virtual reality? We've discussed, we've discussed like image compression and stuff, but is there any other additional challenges uh, that you think, you know, it faces? It basically needs to be completely hardware generic to be on the web. It needs to not care what hardware you're using and there, to be fully accessible, mm, right? You can mm. always have a web app that doesn't work on mobile, mm. but the whole point of web is to make it accessible to everyone. Mm. And so you need to get rid of those hardware restrictions which VR can do, but it severely lowers the quality and, um, so that's a big challenge and not just quality in images, which is an obvious one, but quality mm. like in processing power um, that. And then it's also a matter of it's supposed to be accessible. So ideally you want it to be usable by someone who doesn't even have a headset. Mm. And some VR apps do that by basically providing a 2d view and a 2d interface. Um, but then there's the question about what if they have the wrong headset, can we still make it work? Mm. And basically that's where standards efforts come in, mm. in terms of trying to like, there's this effort called WebXR, which is trying to make virtual reality standards, um, for the web so that these problems get easier. Mm. So you can just say like, render this image on a headset and it'll work on all the headsets. I see. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're, you're kind of, um, almost open sourcing the, uh, the, or making, making sure everything is working on the same platforms. Um, making sure everything is, is, is platform agnostic. Um, not just the platforms like the mobile phones, but also perhaps if you had the headsets or the controllers or what have you, making sure that, you know, you're, you can pick up the same, a different controller and still use it, put on a different headset and still use it. You're not sort of bound to the constraints of the company who made those things. Um, that, exactly. Yeah. And, and one thing I've learned um, from our efforts is that these things don't just happen. Right. It's not just a given 
like there needs to be someone motivated to do the grueling standards work, which in terms of images is, is me. And, <laughs> and it, but there needs to be like those advocates who are willing to like sit on those weekly calls for years on end to make these standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was something I took for granted before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sound extremely passionate about this. Um, you know, you, you said you've been working at bin- binomial for, um, for a, a good few years. Um, mm-hmm. Is there, what, 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 when you wake up in the morning, what is the thing that, that goes, that drives you to, to push forward? What is the, what is it that inspires you to continue your, your efforts? Uh, for me, it's freedom. Um, it's knowing that the thing that I'm doing right now is, giving me freedom. I don't need to work a lot of hours a lot every week and I can um, make enough money to support myself for years to come. And it feels like, like this is a good path towards basically allowing the rest of my life to be better. Mm. Um, mm. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of, and, and stuff like the standards work is just part of, it's part of the job. Like it literally, it's kind of interesting because like, it is exciting to be like able to replace new formats and stuff, but it's also just part of running the business as well. Like it helps us uh, and we get benefited from financially by pushing these standards as well. So it's, it's very win-win. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I certainly, I, and I can see that from, from uh, the way you talk and, and the, the passion. Um, I would also say that it's, Perhaps it's something that uh, you're striving to 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 make something better, um, and it's it is changing changing JPEG and PNGs. That's a massive shift in in everyday thinking. That's going to change so much, not just in games, it, not just on the web, just everything really. To be honest, that does image processing. It is very broad reaching. Um, I mean, that, that must, that must feel incredible that you, you are in that position to, to have that, um, impact. It's so weird because it's one of those things where it feels, it feels incredible at first and for bursts, but (laughs) it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's like that business advice where any yeah, uh, I don't know how much B2B stuff you've done. You do freelancing, so you do some. But mm. like there's this advice that the B2B sales that are like big dollar amounts, mm. when you first hear them, like you're like, wow, that's incredible. But there's so much work to get there mm. that by the time you get there, you're like, I deserve even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what standards work can feel like at times where it is incredible, but it is grueling. It's, it's a lot of work. Yes. And so it's like, it's incredible, but, um, but it helps to have the business motivating that as well to keep pushing. Mm. Um, because stuff like there's a reason why the web is 15 years behind. It's not easy to just change that. So Mm. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating talking to you and, uh, learning your background and what you're, you're, um, changing on the, uh, on the web and with the graphics. It's fantastic work that you're doing. Um, do you, do you have any, any, uh, any other advice or anything else that you want to mention before we head off? Um, 
Yeah, especially since there's a lot of students listening and stuff like that. Um, I I always want to encourage people to not feel like they're too young to start a business. I, I see that a lot where with jobs, like you can't get a senior developer role unless you've got some experience, mm. but you can start a business even with no experience. The only thing that marks your success is whether you can convince someone to give you money. So <laughs> it doesn't take away from how hard it is. Um, but it just means it's possible. Um, so I always like to throw that out there for, uh, especially younger people. That's brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself. That's, that's fantastic. Wow. What, yeah. I mean, what, how inspiring is that? That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I, I started the business when I was 26 years old, which, uh, like, you know, I had a few years of experience under my belt, but to a lot of people, they wouldn't think that that's possible. So, yeah. Okay. Right. Do, do you mind if I just pick that up a little bit? I mean, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so 26 starting a business, that's, um, I mean, blimey, <laughs> that's, 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 you got a, you, there's a load of challenges there. Uh, just trying to pick that apart. So, I mean, what, what made you do that? What was the thing that, that uh, convinced you or inspired you to go, right, today I'm going to start a business? How was that transition going to ha- How did that happen? Uh, for me, it started with just wanting to freelance. Like I was getting really burnt out in jobs to the point where I wasn't sure I could even work a full-time job. I was just so burnt out. I was working 100-hour weeks. I was just not functioning. Mm. So I was like, I literally will get fired if I work a full-time job. (laughs) And so I thought, well, maybe I could freelance and then rest and then freelance and rest. (laughs) So it started as a freelancing gig. And then my business partner, um, was also getting tired of full-time work, uh, except he had 25 years of experience and he saw that I was able to get gigs. Mm. And so he was, he joined me to help me with the gigs I was already getting. So I was bringing in money and then he could help me on the programming side. And um, as we uh, did that together, we worked really well together and we ended up starting a product. And, and that product is Binomial. And that product, uh, yeah, is Basis. Binomial basis. is the company. Uh, is it, sorry, is Basis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> well, what, 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 um, what, what inspired you to go down the, the route of image compression, though? I mean, that, that's quite a, a, a big thing to, to grab hold of. I mean, a, a, as well as starting a business. Um, well, that, <laughs> It goes back to what we were saying before we started recording where I was saying I admire how you can freelance and you were like, oh, yeah, it's it's tough work. <laughs> That's exactly why is <laughs> because freelancing was starting to get stressful. Like it requires like I would love to hear your advice on it because yeah. it requires a special skill set of being able to juggle all these things in the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, someone approached us for an image compression project right. because my business partner had experience in that. And we just had this light bulb moment of, wait, this actually would make a good product that we could sell to multiple people. Why are we doing this as consulting? Maybe we can try selling this product. Mm. Um, and then we went and tried to talk to other companies that we knew because of our consulting network and see if we could sell it. Wonderful. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it... 
and it just happened like that. That's 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 uh, uh, such a good good story to um, an inspiring story. So it it it, it, it was a, a series of events that that sort of led you into this path. Um, right from the start of of putting C plus plus on the CV all the way up to. <laughs> well, that's why I was saying that I I love stories like yours yeah. where it's not like you have a plan for your whole life. You're not like at this age I'm gonna start a YouTube channel and I'm gonna do this and this <laughs> and this. I it, I love it when people can kind of find or they they might have a general direction, but they can organically find what works best yeah, for them. I I I call it like um. So you're adapting to the situation that you're given and, uh, you know, you can make the best plans. Uh, and I have done several plans, like three month plans, six month plans, five year plans. And half the time they never turn out the way I ex- expect them to be. Sometimes they're better than I expected them to be. Sometimes I'm ending up doing stuff that I never even thought I would be doing or technologies that I never thought I would be dealing with. Um, there are times where there's technologies that uh, I play with and I don't necessarily like them, but it's what the client wants and it's what I need to pay the bill at the time. So, you know, it, you, you have to compromise. Well, I have to compromise and I have to adapt and sort of be very malleable to the situation at the time. Um, and it's very, very interesting. Something that I learned, uh, right in the early days of freelance is the conversations you have at the start, um, will hopefully grow and you don't know where the, where your networking will go because you don't know who they talk to. So there's been, there's been lots of experiences where I've had, where I've, I've spoken to someone, gone to a, a meetup somewhere or, um, had a coffee with someone and then I get a random email from someone who I've never even known. And they've just said, Oh, I've spoken to such and such. And they've mentioned your name. Do you fancy talking about X, Y, Z? You know, things can happen that are completely out of the blue just because you've mentioned what you do. Um, yes. I feel like there is this big misconception, especially in computer science, where if you have the talent, if you have the skills, if you have a good product, even mm. everything will just fall in your lap. And, mm. and, and it's like, no, what you just described is sales. Like mm. Mm. I, I, I have a similar sales process. Um, and what I used to do in the early stages is make sure I was giving I was meeting at least four new people a week and giving at least one talk every couple months to kind of generate business. Mm. It's not just like, we have a great product. Now we have sales. It's, it doesn't work that way. No, no, <laughs> no. Just because you can code doesn't mean that you will code. And just because you you can build a website doesn't mean that you will build a website. You need to go and find, you know, you need to go and network. You need to go and um, approach people and don't do it in a sort of a, you know, look what I can do kind of way. It's, it's more of a, you know, it's, it's more of a, a natural com- conversation. Um, you know, I've had the, the most obscure websites, um, you know, uh, hairdresser websites, stuff, websites that I would never even consider building myself. I wouldn't necessarily go to uh, a hairdressers. I don't have any hair myself, so I wouldn't need to. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go somewhere and, and say, look, you know, do you want me to build you a website for, you know, your hairdresser? But I got that gig because someone knew a hairdresser who wanted a website. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. It's this very tricky. It's, it's hard for people who are totally new to business to understand. But there's this tricky balance between 
you can build a completely genuine relationship and also mention what you do. And it's also okay to have like strictly professional relationships mm. where you just meet up every few months to talk about work mm-hmm. and try to help each other out. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a whole new world of like ways that you can interact with people and still be totally genuine, but build your business. Yeah. And there's something definitely, um, when you, when you meet a group of people and you, you utilize their talents to the best of their abilities, and then they can utilize your talent in the best of your abilities. There is some really nice equilibrium there where you're helping them, they're helping you and you are both, both companies are pushing themselves forward. Um, and, uh, that, that it's lovely when that happens. Um, and when you, when you're having that sort of interaction on a business level, um, and you can sort of like give different people different leads. Um, I, I, I personally try not to take the, the approach of, um, uh, when there's a lead sort of, sort of follow up and say, you know, can you, give me a little bit for that lead because, you know, I gave you that lead. I usually try and do it with the way of, you know, if I give someone a lead and it works out, then hopefully they will remember where that lead came from and then they will help me out. Uh, they'll reciprocate that. Um, and that's, that's worked out quite a lot. Um, not only in the fact of, you know, people who are outside of the web development industry. So my own clients, perhaps may recommend me to their friends, but also um, the graphics designers that I know, the people who, the, the stuff that I, that is part of the web development industry that I don't touch upon. I can, I can sort of say, you know, I've got a pool of graphics designer friends that I have seen their skills. I know what they can do. Um, and so I can give them leads and then they can perhaps give me leads. So yeah, it's a, it's a lovely sort of, um, network and it took me a long time to build that up but once you've got it it's great exactly i think that's why like that's why i admire that because i feel like successful freelancers just stick to it and build up that network and once you have that you're pretty you're pretty good i mean Mm. compared to not having (laughs) not having a network like that makes freelancing real stressful um but once you can build it up it's it's lovely and you're right. It is genuine. It's it's just people who are happy to help each other out. And it's so interesting that you brought up price because that's a whole other fascinating <laughs> topic to go down. But like the, the way we view money and things like that, it's good to know that even interactions involving money can still be genuine. And it's 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 interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, just picking on that point, I mean, the, 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 the price thing, there's, there's always this thing with programmers that there's um, – you know, do you charge on an hourly basis? You know, is it based on time or is it based on the quality of the work? If it's based on the quality of the work um, or how much work you do, um, then, you know, where where is your cutoff point in the quality? Because if you're saying if, it, if it's based on quantity, then is it based on quality? And then you end up with the scenario where you've got freelancers who aren't testing code, they're putting in bad practice um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not great. They end up just writing code. And then as soon as, you know, five o'clock comes, they just turn the laptop off and go, right, you've had your, you've had your hour, you know, I'm going to charge you for that. Um, and yeah. And, uh, and then, and then they, the, the, the project sort of doesn't 
work as well as it should do because it hasn't been tested. Um, and then they leave and then another freelancer like myself would pick it up um, and then try and fix like a bag of spanners because, you know, the previous developer hadn't tested it fully um, or perhaps wasn't aware of all of the requirements and just did a sort of a cowboy job because of the time restraints. So it, it, that is that is a really challenge, big challenge for, for, for us developers to try and justify quantity versus quality of code um, and uh, just sort of estimating time is extremely challenging when when you're trying to build something that is as good quality as it possibly can do, follow all the good standards, you know, really nice and secure. Um, and you, you end up saying to the client that it's going to take, you know, so much longer than it, then perhaps these cowboys can do it in, but you know that the code is of a high standard. So it's it, that conversation is, is a very awkward conversation sometimes with a client when you're trying to con- say that it's not just a WordPress site. It's not just something that you can just do a one click install and there you go. It's something that is custom and it's built to your specification and it's tested and I can rerun these tests and I can prove to you that it all works. And yeah, that, that, that can be quite a challenge. But anyway, I know that we're going completely off the topic and I'm going into one of my rants. So. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's, it's so true. It, it really makes me think of a wake up call that I had recently, which was a product negotiation price. So we, we sell products, you know, mm. we don't do hourly licensing or sorry, hourly licensing, hourly billing so much anymore. We'll do mm. it occasionally for like little things, little support issues, mm. but yeah, mostly product pricing. And I remember they were basically steering it in the convert in the direction of how many hours did it take you to build this product? Mm. Right. Mm. Like they were trying to like frame it like that. And I was like, well, company X is paying this. <laughs> it's just like, listen, this is the market price. Company X is paying this. I'm going to bypass your whole discussion of hours. These people are willing to pay this. So you either have to pay this or yeah, hire. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it was like a start. And then they were like, oh, okay, that's the price. And like shifted their mindset. And um, it's really interesting. There's a, uh, there's this person on Twitter who I follow called Patrick McKenzie, who always posts great business advice. And one of his uh, mantras is charge more. And he'll always say like, charge more, no matter what, charge more. <laughs> and the idea behind that concept is that price at the end of the day is artificial. Like mm. I was working way harder as a retail employee than I ever have ever worked in tech, mm. but I was getting paid a 10th of or less of the price. Mm. So it's like our prices are already kind of like artificial. Mm. Why not try to charge even more? <laughs> <laughs> and there's, of course there's like a market like, Oh, I could get it for this cost. So, and like there's perceptions around that, but it's important to remember that like you can break out of that and like shift paradigms and not, um, and basically, like sidestep some of those conversations. It's real tricky. Pricing is a whole other topic. It's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, I guess it's different for different sizes of clients, different sizes of companies that you're working with. They have different pools of money that they can they can uh, use or not use. Yeah, different pools and different perceptions. Yeah. Like um, yeah. one of the concepts that I find really interesting is this concept of a death price, where there's okay 
two main categories in B2B products. There's the products that are really easy to get approval for. Like I want to license Photoshop. That's a low end price. Like I can just put it on my corporate card. I have Photoshop. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then there are like the six figure, like higher deals that go through all these approval processes. And if you're caught in the middle, it can be really hard to sell because it takes approvals, but you're not seen as like a luxury item. You're yeah. like caught in that middle price. Mm -hmm. So all kinds of weird perceptions around price mm. to go into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So it sounds like we're moving into another podcast. <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, well, it's, uh, it was fascinating to, to hear your, uh, your background and your stories and, uh, to talk to you about, uh, binomial and the, the basis product. Um, if, uh, if anyone wants to get hold of you and uh, reach you on social media, what are your social media links? Right. I'm on Twitter at S-E-H-U-R-L-B-U-R-I-T. And then you can find my website, stephaniehurlbert.com, that has links to everything else and email and all that. That's brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much, Stephanie, for coming on. It's been a right pleasure um, to, to, to listen to you today. And, um, yeah, uh, thank you ever so much. It's been awesome. And thank you ever so much, everyone for watching on the YouTubes and listening on the podcasts. Happy coding everyone. I'll see you again next time. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>